you have a Bible, turn with me, if you will, please, to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. I know Pastor Bo was in Romans chapter 1 last week as we sort of journey through the book of Romans together as a church in our reading programs, and I hope that you're participating in that. There is perhaps no richer book in all of the Bible than the book of Romans. Uh, it is often referred to as perhaps the most theological of all the works of Scripture, and specifically theological as it relates to the doctrine of our salvation. So if we want to understand how salvation works, then the book of Romans is exactly where we want to be. There are some other books, like the book of Galatians, of course, that's highly important as well. The book of Ephesians is important to that end. But the book of Romans is absolutely central to this. Now, I'll just simply say this. Perhaps Bo pointed this out to you last week. But verse number, chapter 1, verse number 16 through verse number 17 Paul basically summarizes essentially where he's going with the whole book to teach us that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. But to do that, now what he's going to do throughout a large part of the rest of the book is he's going to make a big case for that idea. And so what we're picking up on today is one part within the tapestry of that larger case that the Apostle Paul is going to give us. I often say it this way when I present the gospel to people. That word gospel, which means good news, because we talk about the death of Jesus Christ for us and salvation that comes to us through that, that good news all presupposes bad news. And so, in other words, before you can really understand the good news of all this, before we can get saved, we have to get lost first, if you, if you could put it that way. And essentially what Paul is doing now from chapter 1 up through chapter 3 is he's making sure that we're all clear, that all of us stand equally condemned. Every man, every woman, every race, every tongue, every tribe, every color, every country, you name it, it does not matter who you are, the human condition is lostness. The Jews are no better than the Gentiles. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It's not necessarily a feel-good sermon, okay? But just understand that this is one part within the broader tapestry of the whole message of the gospel. So read along with me today. I'm just going to read starting in verse number 1, go through verse number 11. We'll reference some other things in chapter 2 here today, but those are going to be the ones that I read today. So this is what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are that judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. He's pointing at hypocrisy here. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And do you think, O man, you who judge those for practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, the forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness of your, and, and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteousness of God, of the judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life for those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, for them it will be indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also for the Greek. 
But the glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen to this. This is a major point he wants to make in this chapter. For there is no partiality with God. Let's pray. Lord, none of us, not a one, have anything to boast in before you. Not in our righteous deeds. Not in the work of our hands. Certainly, certainly not in the thoughts of our minds. Or in the words of our mouth. Lord, none of us have anything to boast in. None of us have a leg to stand on. Lord, throughout this chapter, it seems to us that what you're trying to show us is just how destitute we really all are. No matter who we are, no matter where we come from. And Lord, the point of all that, as we understand it, is not so that we would just simply despair in ourselves, but so that our attention would be turned to that which does give life, that which does bring hope, your precious Son. And so, Father, I pray, so that we can properly esteem your Son, so that we can properly love, cherish, and trust in your Son, Help us in these next few moments to take those hard looks at ourselves such that no boasting would be found in this flesh. Lord, help us to understand your righteous judgment on us. We pray that you would guide us through this time now. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. In Romans chapter 1, here's what the Apostle Paul does. He talks to us about God's righteous judgment that is coming upon sinners. As the Apostle Paul would write these things, the Jewish audience would most certainly hear and receive that through a disposition of self-righteousness. Well, yes, it's true that some people would do that. And indeed, the kinds of people that Paul will describe in Romans chapter 1, I mean, this is these people that have suppressed the truth of God and righteousness. And because of that, three times it says these scary, awful things about what God does in response. They suppress the truth of God and unrighteousness. And three times it says of them that God gave them over to the lusts of their mind. I tell you, church, that is not what you want God to do in your life. Just hand you over to the ways of your sin. That's not what you want. And the description as as it would go forward in Romans chapter 1 is the description of the sin escalating or de-escalating in a downward spiral, getting worse and worse and worse. Men giving themselves over, abandoning the natural use of a woman and use of a man and vice versa with the female. And we describe these things. And here's what I want you to see. It would be very easy for a Jewish audience, maybe it would be easy for us today, to read those descriptions and say, yeah, that's right, that's evil, that's wicked, and God is going to judge it. Because that is indeed what Paul is saying in chapter 1. This is evil and wicked, and God is going to judge it. But the Jews would likely hear that through the lens of self-righteousness. Maybe again, as many of us might today, because there's always this tendency that we have to think of ourselves as special. No, uh, yeah, that's true of them. Those people, God is going to judge them. But us, I mean, we're the righteousness of God, right? And the Jews would certainly read it that way and hear it that way. So Paul has made this point about how awful their sin is and how God is going to judge them. 
And now in chapter 2, O Jewish believer, he turns and speaks to them. And now what he wants to do in the whole of chapter 2 is make this simple point. The Jews are no better than the Gentiles. That is to say, the Jews stand equally condemned before God and the law. There is, as he would culminate this crescendo of a point in chapter 3, there is none who are righteous, no, not one. Not Jew, not Gentile, not male, not female, not white, not black. It does not matter who you are. We all stand condemned under the law. This is the point of chapter 2. Again, not necessarily a feel-good sermon, but hear it within the broader tapestry of the case that Paul is going to make in the book of Romans about just how our salvation works. And so in chapter 2, making this point of the bad news, the bad news for me, for you, for the Jew, for the Gentile, for the male, for the female, for the black, for the white, for, for the American, and for the anything else, there is indeed bad news that we all have to properly understand and appreciate before we can ever understand grace, before we could ever understand mercy and love through Jesus Christ. So focusing in on these first 11 verses today, let me just make several points. I'm going to reference a couple of the other chapters in here in chapter 2 in just a moment. But let me make four points from this passage about God's judgment on us. Number one, God's judgment will come to judgmental hypocrites. This is the first thing that Paul says in verse number 1 through 3, is that ultimately there are these people who condemned those practicing some things but they themselves practiced the same. And what Paul wants you to see is that that is a being a judgmental hypocrite and that ultimately God is going to judge you as well. Verse number one. Therefore, you are, in, you are inexcusable, O man. I mean, that in and of itself, that language should be startling to the reader of the book of Romans. Because again, they've read in chapter 1 about how these people have suppressed the truth of God and unrighteousness and how God gave them over to their sins and their sins got more and more elaborate and emboldened. And they read all that and they say, yep, evil, unrighteous, and God is going to judge it. And now the very next thing Paul says, therefore, connecting it back to what was just before, he says, you are inexcusable. What? I thought you were talking about somebody else. And Paul wants to say, no, 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 no. I'm talking about you. Paul wants us to say, look, all that we read in chapter 1 about how we suppress the truth and we, we, we abandon God, listen, that's something all of us have a propensity to do. So chapter 2, verse 1, therefore you are inexcusable, O man. Well, why? What did I do? Well, now watch what he says. For whoever you are who judge, that is, you look down and we condemn those who practice some things. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. In other words, what Paul wants us to see here is that our sin's really not different. We may not do it exactly the same way that this person does it. But functionally, we are doing the exact same things in what we do. And sometimes we actually do the exact same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. Always remember this, my dear brothers and sisters. The God who sits above us sees all, knows all, and He knows 
the truth at all times about all things about all of us. We may put on airs about one thing. We may present ourselves in one way. We may lie or fib about certain little things. But the God who sits above us all sees and knows all, and He most certainly knows the nitty-gritty truth about each of us. And He will judge us according to the truth. The, the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things. And then He asked the question, I mean, how foolish of us to ever think that somehow, some way, God is only going to judge those people, whoever those people might be in our minds. Those people are unrighteous and they do bad things and therefore God is going to judge them. Why do we think that? Listen to the question he asked them. It's a mocking question in verse 3. Do you think this, O oh man, that you who judge those practicing such things and do the same things that you will escape? The judgment of God? What is Paul saying to us? God is going to bring judgment upon judgmental hypocrites. And therefore, don't be one. Jesus made this point in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 through verse number 5. You've heard this. You know this. You might even be thinking this as I'm making this point to you. But let's just hear it. And let's think it through together. Jesus instructed us this way. Quote, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. Now i got to tell you, that's some harsh judgment coming our way, is it not? Because we can sure give it out. With nuance and with layers and with anger, we can sure give it out. Well, Jesus says, with the judgment that you judge, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you don't consider the plank in your eye? In other words, you, you judge people for these small things over here, like a speck in their eye, but you yourself have a two-by-four jumping out of your eye. Why do you look at someone else's lesser sin as being more significant than yours? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Jesus just flat out calls it, you hypocrite, he says. Wow. First, here's the instruction. First, remove the plank from your eye. And then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. There's a lot of plank removal that needs to happen in our lives. And the point, if you're hearing it this morning and you're thinking about someone else right now, I'm just saying to you, repent. Because you are missing it. May God give you and me all eyes to see and ears to hear the truth about ourselves. Don't think about anybody else right now. Not your spouse, not your brother, not your sister, not your friend, not your enemy. You think about you, Jesus is saying here. You think about what sin is in your life that needs repentance, what needs removal, and you focus 100% on that. And then here come the but what ifs. But what if they don't also? Jesus isn't talking to you about them, is he? The scriptures aren't talking to you about them, is it? 
No, it seems to focus almost universally on you, 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 you. On me, 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 me. Focus on me, you focus on you. No but what ifs. No. Point number one from Romans chapter 2 here. God is going to bring judgment on judgmental hypocrites, number one. Number two, God's judgment comes because of our unrepentant hearts. God's judgment will come because of our unrepentant hearts. Let me just say it to you this way. It's obviously, we get judged because of our sin. Absolutely, that is the deal, right? That's the deal. But let me say it this way if I can. Paul stretches and, and pushes us doctrinally on several points here as he makes these points. And I just have to say, any preacher through the book of Romans especially, this is true across the board with, with, with any passage of Scripture, but man, the book of Romans and the book of Ecclesiastes and some things like that, you, as, as a preacher, you kind of got to walk this tightrope. You don't want to say it the wrong way. And I'm, I'm in that moment right now, okay? Yes, we're getting judged because of sin, but here's the part where I'm walking the tightrope. There's a sense in which the fact that you and I sin is not the real problem. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned. It is a fact of the human being except for the man Jesus Christ. Who was fully man, yet without sin. Like us in all ways according to his manhood except for sin. Okay, So except for him, what's been true of all human beings throughout all of history is that all of us sin. So there's a sense in which that's not necessarily the demarcator here. You know what is the demarcator? It's the refusal to repent from it. It's the, the unwillingness to stop. It's the insistence on continuing in our way. What way? A way of destruction. And by refusing to be repentant and having a hard heart in response to our own sinfulness, that is the problem that brews into catastrophe. Verse 5, listen to what he says. But in accordance with your hardness... And your impenitent heart, that means unrepentant. In accordance with your, your hardness and impenitent heart, listen to this. Boy, he just uses some very descriptive language here. You are treasuring up for yourselves. It's the picture here of someone just building and building and accumulating and accumulating. You are treasuring up for yourselves wrath. On the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, when God steps back into this world to judge you by being, and me by being unrepentant, by having hard hearts about our sins, what we've actually built up for ourselves on that day is wrath upon wrath upon wrath. So... What Paul wants us to see here is, number one, God's going to judge the, the judgmental hypocrites. Number two, he's wanting us to see that judgment really comes because of the unrepentance in our lives. I see a beautiful picture of what that that's, looks like, that unrepentantness. And then at the same time, what repentance looks like in the passage of Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 14. You've heard me reference this before. It's one of the, I think, the most beautiful and instructive stories in all of the Gospels. It's the picture of the tax collector and the Pharisee who both go into the temple to pray. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Let's all go pray together. But they go in with very different postures and they are very, very different people. The tax collector, if I can just say it this way, would have been thought of in Jesus' day as the scum of the earth. 
just awful people, disgusting people, intolerable people. That's the tax collector. And it wasn't just because they collected taxes. They abused the Jews and did all these other things. And they were, very, they were genuinely bad people for the most part. Jesus picks the tax collector specifically to challenge their common assumptions about people and who would be righteous before God. Because there's always this tendency to be self-righteous, right? So take a tax collector over here. This is the scum of the earth. What a dirtbag this guy would have been. And then a Pharisee. The King Mac Daddy of all righteousness on earth. Boy, the assumptions that we would have about these two types of people, right? They're very different people and they go in to pray. And because they're very different people, listen to this, they go into the temple to pray with a very different posture. One goes in, the Pharisee goes in with this disposition, and here is his prayer. He goes before God very flippantly, very entitled, very self-righteous, and he says, you know, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. Let me just... Stop right there. <laughs> Buddy, you got a problem. I thank you that I'm not like these other people. I tithe and I give and I pray all these different times. God, you're certainly lucky to have me. And then you have this tax collector, the scum of the earth, who goes into the presence of God in the temple. And when he goes to pray, the Bible says that he, would, he stood afar off in other words, he was tentative of even approaching the glory of God. And he would not even lift his eyes up into heaven. But instead, he stood off in silence and he finally beat on his chest. And all he could muster when he prayed was, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Wow. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down justified back to his house. What's the picture here? It's, the, it's exactly what Paul is talking about here. There's, there's a tendency that I would say some of us have, but let's be honest about it. There's a tendency that all of us will have if we're not deliberately focused on it and to crucify it in our lives. The tendency will to be self-righteous, to always see ourselves through the very, very best possible lenses, to always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in our own minds, and to always look at other people in the worst possible lens and to never give them the benefit of the doubt. We sit and we drive by the homeless on our streets and we say things and we think things like, well, they just made bad choices. Well, you know what, brother or sister, so have you. I'm quite confident that you've made some pretty awful, stinky, terrible decisions in your life too. And you're not out there. It's certainly true that that person's made some bad decisions. But so have you and so have I. But you have one life and he has, we don't know that person's full story. Maybe they are there because of the choices they made 100%. Maybe they're there, but man, they were born with a situation where they came into this world with two strikes against them in an impossible scenario. And it's a miracle they're still alive. I mean, how self-righteous we can be. Someone else does something or says something. And we immediately think about how awful they are. And again, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We see that picture there in the Luke 18 story. And Paul warns us right here, the real problem is the problem of being hard-hearted and unrepentant. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 3 through verse number 6. It's the Beatitudes. Listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means this, dear brother and sister. It means that you are the kind of person that you recognize before God. I have nothing, nothing to boast in before God. I come before Him destitute and bankrupt with nothing to stand on. And God, if you don't have mercy on me, I will not stand. Jesus is blessed are the poor in spirit. They're not haughty. They're not puffed up. They don't constantly parade around about what they do and how great they are and how perfectly they live their life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Is Jesus prescribing depression here? No. Blessed are those who mourn. What does that mean? Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. Listen, we we don't have a proper place, a robust enough place for lamentation in our life. I mean, there are whole books of the Bible that talk about lamenting. Lamenting what? Lamenting our sin. Lamenting our rebellion against God. We mourn over our sin. As James tells us, we weep, we howl, we mourn. We let our laughter be turned to sorrow and to tears. Blessed are those who mourn, you could read there, over their sin. for They shall be comforted. We want that relief. But we don't want the morning to get that relief. Blessed are those who listen to this hunger and thirst for righteousness. You ever known anybody starving? You ever known anybody genuinely, genuinely parched? I can remember when I first mission trip I ever took to Africa. I remember they were feeding me at lunch one day. They were just feeding me and feeding me. And I'd been told before, man, if you, they put it in front of you, you need to eat it. And so I felt guilty every time they bring me something. Man, I just got to the point where I was stuffed. And I could not eat anymore. And I remember I had about a half bowl of rice that was left. This was like my third helping. I didn't want the second one. And now I'm on my third one. And so I, I, I just cannot go any farther than this right here. And they took that half bowl of rice. And I'll never forget what they did. They took that half bowl of rice and they took it outside. And there outside, I mean, I'm talking about two little small handfuls of rice here, y'all. They took that little small bowl of rice out to a group of children, about six or seven children that sat down and they devoured that rice. And it hit me that that was their meal for the day. I've never known hunger like that. I've never known the desperation that one would feel in that moment to just have a morsel of food. Thankfully, I've never known that. But I can remember this passage ringing in my mind as I watched those little desperate children scarf up those morsels of rice. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, I I want closeness with you. God, I want righteousness that can only come from you. I'm desperate for it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says they shall be filled. God is going to judge us because of the hardness of heart and the unrepentance of our hearts and minds against our sin. I'll just say it to you, fellas and and gals. I know that in this room we're all professing Christians and believers. And thanks be to God for that. But we're entirely too comfortable with the patterns of our sin. We let them be. They go unchecked. We make excuses for them and we rationalize them. 
And it is only breeding destruction in our lives. Thirdly, God's judgment is impartial to color, culture, or tribe. God's judgment is impartial to color, culture, or tribe. Remember, this is why I'm saying this. The Jews would have read everything Paul says in Romans chapter 1 is that, yep, those nasty Gentiles. And the point of chapter 2 now is to say to them, you're inexcusable, old man. And he speaks to the Jews. And again and again and again, he shows them in chapter 2 how you Jews, you think you have all these things that you can depend on that make you special, that make you righteous. And so such that all that I said about God's judgment on wickedness doesn't apply to you. It only applies to the Gentiles, but it doesn't apply to you. And Paul's going to show the Jews now, no, you too. You too, Jew. You stand just as condemned as the Gentile does. They think that they are righteous because they have circumcision. Look at verse number 25. Down through verse number 29, he's basically saying to him, your circumcision does nothing. You, they think they're righteous because they have the law. Well, look at what it says in verse number 12 through 16. No, the law actually doesn't avail you anything here, Mr. Jew. The point is to say, all of us, no matter color, culture, or tribe, stand condemned. Look at verse 6. He will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life, to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, they shall receive indignation and wrath and tribulation and anguish. He says this will be for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. Now here's an important point. What what Paul wants you to see in, in, in Romans 2 is a principle that he's going to revisit throughout the book of Romans. It's the principle of impartiality. Here in chapter 2, impartiality is given to us as it relates to judgment and sinfulness. Okay, So in such, what he's saying to us is, it doesn't matter if you're white or black or brown or yellow or whatever else. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're from this country or that country. It doesn't matter if you're of this tribe or that tribe. It does not matter. All are condemned before the law. That impartiality with God. All are condemned before the law. Now, that principle of impartiality now applied to God's judgment will get applied to God's grace and His mercy as well. Such that what He's he's now said to us that God judges all impartially, right? He's now also going to say to us that God's grace and His mercy and His love and His forgiveness is also impartial. Such that as judgment will come upon all, grace is given to all. It doesn't matter about color or culture or tribe. right? God is going to judge all equally. There is no impartiality, verse number 11. Romans chapter 2, we see this. Romans chapter 2, verse number 12 through 16. The very next paragraph of Scripture that I've not referenced as of yet. But in chapter 2, verse 12 through 16... There's this discussion about whether or not the law itself is any profit to the Jews or the Gentile. And essentially what he shows us here is that, you know what, the Gentiles without the law, because the law of God is actually stamped on their hearts, all people's hearts, they're actually able to do many of the same good things that the Jews do. And so, verse number 12, For as many have sinned without the law will perish without the law, and as many have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. You can skip down to verse 16. There's this large parenthetical statement in the middle, verse 13 through 14. But he picks the thought back up in verse number 16. In that day, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. 
I remind you again, God only not only sees and knows the truth, but God knows the secrets. And He will judge it. Fourth point, and we're all done. Last of all, we've said three things so far about God's judgment. It will come to judgmental hypocrites. It comes because of our unrepentant hearts. God's judgment is impartial to color, culture, and tribe. And then fourthly and finally, here's the good news. God's goodness leads us into repentance, godliness, and out of judgment. Verse number four. You see, the, the thing the Jews would have done is they would have thought of themselves as the Gentiles being bad and God going to judge them, us being holy... And the reason we're holy, listen to this, is because of what we have done. We obeyed the law. We had circumcision. We did all these things. We attained righteousness of our own. Verse number four, listen to this. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that it was the goodness of God that led you to repentance? Wow. So even the good things that one might have done, God led them to it. I've I've marveled. Why, in my own personal life, if I can just share personal stuff for a minute, sort of kind of unrelated, but it still illustrates the point. My life changed radically about a year and a half ago, a little over that, when all of a sudden this process started. There I was just minding my own business, doing my own thing. I was not the kind of guy anybody would have ever thought of for a role like this, just doing my thing, never dreaming at all, and never wanting to do anything like this at all. And then all of a sudden, knock, 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 here we are. It certainly caused me to wonder a lot. Why me? Why, why did God call me to this? And people could, well-meaning, they could come along beside me and say things as well because you're passionate. Okay, but if that's true, that's God-given. God could have not made me that way. So I didn't do that. It's because you have visionary skills or whatever the thing would be. Okay, even if that's true, I didn't do it. I didn't put it there. I didn't create it. I didn't cultivate it. I didn't experience it. I didn't do any of those things. I just was minding my own business. The point, I have nothing to boast in. And the same is true with regard to salvation. Even the good things that you have done, don't ever, ever think that you did it on your your own and of yourself. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Let me reference a couple passages of Scripture and we're all done. John chapter 6, verse 44. Listen to this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at that last day. Psalm 23, verse number 2 and verse number 3. Verses you're very familiar with, but listen to them now through this lens. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore the Lord will wait that He may be gracious to you. And therefore He will be exalted that He may have mercy on you. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him. It is all Him. Don't ever ever boast. As Paul would say in the book of Galatians, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me ask you a couple questions as we close. Number one, do you condemn what you practice?
You condemn it in other people, but there are hints and roots of it all wrapped up into our own lives. This is hypocrisy, and it is something that God will bring an account of in our life. Number two, are you repentant? Is repentance a pattern of your life? It needs to be. That's the point, right? Repentance, hear me, is not something you needed to do once and upon a time long ago in that night or that morning you came to faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance is a daily exercise of me taking inventory once again of where my life is walking with Him and where my life is not. And asking God's forgiveness in my life and power and help in my life to be more pleasing to Him. Are you repentant of your sin? Thirdly, are you inclined to think of yourself as special in some way, such that God is going to give you a pass or special favor? Look, man, I'm telling you throughout the Scriptures especially, we see this theme reverberating off the pages of the New Testament. The foot of the cross is equal. It does not matter who you are. It does not matter what you've done. God is impartial. He doesn't show favoritism. So, do you tend to think of yourself as special in some way? Then last of all, do you pray that God would cultivate repentance in your heart? You say, look, if God's going to be the one to do that in my life, then what do I do? You beg Him for it. Because you and I can all go through the motions of repentance. We can even say the words of repentance and not have the heart that's needed for repentance. And so only God can do that. And so we pray and we pray and we beg God cultivate within me a disposition of repentance. Father, help us never, ever, ever to look at ourselves as somehow better than anyone else. Draw us to yourself and may we see the truth that there is only one righteous, holy, and that is you. And may we abandon all aspirations to achieve goodness in ourselves. And may we be consumed with the pursuit of your Son, your Spirit, and your righteousness that you produce in our lives. Help us, we pray. We love you. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.